0: Welcome to episode 43 of the Hockey Free for All podcast. I am your host, Stephen Stiles. Wow, where does one start? What is the bigger story? Is it the total clean out of the Calgary Flames or is it the total collapse of the Boston Bruins? Unbelievable. Well, you know what? I'm going to start with Calgary. Not only is Brad Trelevin gone, not only is the assistant manager gone, Many more people probably to come, but also finally Daryl Sutter is out as coach. And I believe that was the biggest problem. I don't think he had a system that Jonathan Huberdeau particularly liked. I don't think it played to Jonathan Huberdeau's strengths. And quite honestly, if you've read the reports coming out of Calgary, I mean, over 25 people said he was the issue. That's pretty harsh. When you get to that point, That's kind of a consistent issue at that point. There's not really a lot of guessing anymore as to what the problem might have been. But the other problem with the roster, though, has got to be goaltending moving forward. I don't know what happened to the goaltending this year. It just vaporized. I don't know if people got hurt. I don't know if goaltending coaches changed. Not sure. But there was a lot of problem in goal in particular. And I think that's one of the strengths of Calgary and why they had done so well in a couple of previous seasons is because their goaltending was right there. And I think that's something that has to be significantly looked at. I'm going to be real curious to see where Calgary goes for a new general manager and for a new coaching staff. I'm curious to see how many teams keep this retread process going versus throwing the book out, and saying, you know what? New game, new era, new styles are needed, new ways are needed. So I'm really curious to see what happens in Calgary. As for the Boston Bruins, again, wow. What does one say after an amazing regular season in every way, overcoming injuries to Brad Marchant, Charlie McAvoy, Patrice Bergeron? how does that happen? I mean, hardly any injuries, but still major injuries during the regular season. And then the injuries just pile up just before the playoffs. I'm not a big fan of professional athletes being given time off before the players. With the money that they make, I personally believe they should play every game in their schedule. That being said, There's also a balance to that, that if you've got players that are hurt, if you've got players that, as they like to say, are not 100%, you need to sit them. I mean, I get it. Boston was chasing that record. Boston wanted to have more points in a single NHL season than anybody else. Boston wanted to win more games in a season than anybody else. I get it. Your name, your team, everything's in the record book. Everybody, including the players on the team at that time, could look back and say, I was a part of that. That being said, If Bergeron was injured, if the starting goaltender who was just out of his mind with the quality of playoff season were hurt towards the end of the season, then you sit him. Because here's the thing. Let's say that goaltender wasn't hurt. Let's say that goaltender of theirs had no injuries. What happens if he went down in the playoffs? You've got nothing known behind him. So play your backup, bring somebody else up out of the AHL, find out what you have. Because you're going to need depth potentially. That was just really unfortunate because although being a Montreal fan personally, and I always have been, you had to root for Boston. There's no way you could ignore the achievements of that team this year. But to see them knocked out in the opening round, I don't think anybody thought that there was any chance of them losing in any round and not taking home the Stanley Cup. I will say this though, what I find so ironic about their loss though, think about this from a karma comes full circle issue. Last season, end of the 21-22 season, Florida Panthers finished as the league's president's trophy, 122 points, blowing everybody away. Nobody's even close, right? They get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs by the Tampa Bay Lightning. President trophy winner gone. This year, Boston Bruins President's Trophy winner, 135 points, nobody even close once again. Not only gets blown out by another team in the first round of the playoffs to continue what's now being called the President's Trophy curse, but gets knocked out by the former President's Trophy team of the previous season who knows exactly what it's like to go through that. There is something really interesting about that. I don't know if anybody else thought of it that way. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just weird. But wow. That What a way, that has got to be the definition of irony right there, to be taken out by a former President's Trophy team who also got taken out the previous season. Also in the playoffs, it was fantastic to see Seattle knock out Colorado. To see the league's newest team already in its second season, maybe not as quickly as the Vegas Golden Knights, I don't know if that'll ever be repeated. I mean, after all, in their inaugural season, they did go all the way to the Cup Finals. But Seattle this year knocked out the defending Stanley Cup champions in the Colorado Avalanche and had a 100-point season in only their second year. You got to admit, that's that's an amazing job. It really is. I mean, my hat's off to the Seattle Kraken management, the Seattle Kraken coaching staff. I mean, they have put together a hard-working team, all-for-one, one-for-all kind of attitude. And they've, along with Vegas, have been incredible additions to the NHL from their very first day. And apparently, like the Vegas Golden Knights, have amazing ownership. I mean, that is just unbelievable. Now, as Seattle moves on in the playoffs, I want to see him take out the Dallas Stars. I was rooting for the Dallas Stars at a Boston Bruins final. Obviously, that's not going to happen because Boston's already out. And Dallas isn't really a team that's very exciting to watch. I mean, it's great to watch their hard hits, which is why I was rooting for them, but they're not really that exciting. So just for something different, just for kind of like a fresh look for the NHL, I would love to see Seattle get to the cup. Now, I don't want to see Seattle win it because I would now love to either see the Florida Panthers win it, but still, I think that would just give the NHL or at least provide the NHL a really, really, fresh look. That being said, of course, though, New Jersey's next opponent, the Carolina Hurricanes, have wiped them out. New Jersey's just got to be suffering shell shock from the first two games of this series. Carolina has blown them out 11-2 in two games. Now, the good news for Jersey, they got beaten in the first two games of their previous series against the New York Rangers, but that's going to be something special. If they can come back from that series, like they did in the Rangers series, definitely means it goes seven games again, so... That will be really interesting to keep an eye on. I thought it was bad enough with people just not being able to let go about the Pierre-Luc Dubois acquisition from Winnipeg and how everybody wants that apparently. Now we got to hear about Alexei Lafreniere from the Rangers. Really? I want to toss something out. Is this really all about nothing more than just local francophone Quebec natives? Because I'm thinking it's got to be, because neither one of these players at any point in their careers to this very day have shown anything of consistency or talent. They've had flashes. Both players have had flashes. You know, I get it. Pierre-Luc Dubois last year scored 28 goals for 60 points. He had the season he did this year. Alexi Lafreniere has not lit anything on fire or been, oh my God, from the day he's been drafted through this season. And back to Pierre-Luc Dubois, was absolutely no kind of standout in the playoffs this year before Winnipeg got smoked. So what is the obsession with these two players? It's gotta be, and I really hope, it's more than just the name on the jersey. I get it. There's a lot of people that miss the days of Jean Belleville, Guy Lafleur, Jacques Lemaire, Serge Savard. French difference makers. I understand that. I get the local heritage. I get the allegiance to it. Common sense always has to rule over everything because what I really feel bad is two things for Alexis Lafreniere and Pierre-Luc Dubois. If they were to come to Montreal, the pressure would be ridiculous. And I want to remind everybody of a conversation or more so a comment that Mario Lemieux made in his draft year. And he was asked, oh, you surely you wanted to play for Montreal. And he replied, it's the team he grew up with. It's the team that he cherished and loved. It's the team he loved watching, but he never wanted to play for him. That's all the way back to 1984. So players of that area, as they come through Bantam, juniors get drafted. Later round players don't mind playing there and can't wait to play in Montreal because there's not the pressure of a first or second round selection on them. Those players might be Xavier Simone, Raphael Harvey-Penard. Seventh round picks in their draft years. And there's lots of other ones that I can throw out, but this is not a name drop thing. There's no pressure on those guys. So when they do what they've done, Xavier Simeno, having a fairly good season in Laval this year, and Raphael Harvey-Pernard, I mean, doesn't need words to describe the difference he made and the sudden fan favorite he became, that's how those stories evolve. But nobody wants to be a first round French player pick. It's too much stress. They no longer have a life. Nobody wants to leave them alone. Players today love the game there's no question about that or they wouldn't have spent their entire life perfecting their trade that being said they also want to have a life they don't want people in their face they don't want people bothering them or family members all the time they want to kind of melt into the background they'll do events they'll sign autographs they'll make public appearances and things like that but on their schedule their time their way they don't want people all over them all the time and there's people that actually get offended with that and the amazing part about it is most people would also want their own life but somehow feel because they're interested in or a fan of somebody they can just control that person's entire life doesn't work that way and if mario lemieux is too much of a Past example, too far away, too historical at this point. People are like, oh, come on, you're reaching back in the 80s, really? Okay, let's go to Jonathan Durant. Let's keep it right even with this season. How'd he work out? I think the pressure probably gave him a fair amount of the anxiety. The exceptional expectations were far more than the kid could do. I'll bet Jonathan Drouin is a top six forward, but somewhere else. There's a reason why most of the highly drafted French players will come to Montreal probably at minimum, the 28 year age, preferably in their 30s, they've dealt with and have all the experience behind them that they have gained to that point in their career, and now it's not so overwhelming. I'll bet Duran gets picked up because God knows I don't want to see him sign another contract with Montreal. Talk about a waste of a roster spot and cap dollars. But I'll bet he moves on to somewhere else and joins somebody like a Washington, a Colorado, somebody like that, or even some other team that's even in less of a hockey market, and probably. Probably turns in his best productive season of his career, and everybody's gonna go, "Oh, see, we should have signed Jonathan Drouin." Nope, wasn't gonna happen in Montreal. Was not going to happen. It's not just French players, Yaspyriak and Yemi. I'm sure there's people now that are like, "Oh, look at the season he's having in Carolina in the playoffs. He's done absolutely nothing in the regular season since Carolina's acquired him." And yeah, I think the real fault of Yaspiricock and Yemi is the same thing as. Some other high draft picks, such as, here's one I'm sure a lot of people don't want to remember, Alex Galchenyuk. But Galchenyuk and Kakanyemi suffered for the same reason. They had good training camps in their draft rookie seasons. In other words, the same year they were drafted, came the training camp, Looked really good. And everybody is oh my God, we got the best players? In those drafts, look, these guys are both ready. And ironically, they were both centers who were not left consistently allowed to play center and didn't have consistent line mates. And both came up two years too early. Neither one of those players should have been in the lineup at 18 years old. Neither one of those players should have been in the lineup at 19 years old. They both should have came to Montreal's lineup at 20 and their careers would have been radically different. Neither one of them were ready physically. I mean, if you look at those two players versus Yurayv Slovkowski drafted this year, not even close. Slavkoski is so much more physically ready than either Galchenyuk or Yemi was, it's not even a conversation, let alone a comparison. Now, did Kotkaniemi and Galchenyuk maybe have a little bit more finish to their game? Than Yerive Slavkovsky has? Probably, because they both played a heck of a lot more hockey by the time they were drafted than Yerive Slavkovsky had. So that's an interesting twist between those players. That being said, and including Yerive Slavkovsky now, drafted in the 2022 NHL entry draft, none of those players should have been on the team at 18 years old. The difference, I will say, for Slavkovsky is because Martin St. Louis the coach. He will bring him along. He will play him. He will put him in a far better position to succeed than any Montreal coach previously would have and that might even go for the great Scotty Bowman because Scotty Bowman wasn't a big one of seeing what a player could do and having to spend time pairing them up with certain players on the roster he probably would have gone to the Nova Scotia Voyagers under Scotty Bowman to learn and hone his craft there because Montreal at that time of course had so many great players and were the dominant franchise of the league and winning Stanley Cups, there wasn't time to do that in Montreal like there is now where it's a perfect learning environment. And you could bring all the young stars of Slavkowski, Kirby Doc, Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Caden Gooley, Arbor Akjai, Jordan Harris, and the list just keeps going on and they can all grow together. Montreal right now is kind of like a second level to the American Hockey League. It's several steps up from it, obviously, but it's still a learning environment like most successful franchises' AHL teams are. It just has a next level coach and has a next grade level of talent versus Laval. Laval is kind of like more of a, almost a diamond in the rough type team for them right now, where Mount Trout's like, all right, well, these players are fairly refined and we'll take it from here and do the rest with them. That's normally an AHL coach's job, and that's not a slap to JF Wool in any way, because he's done an excellent job and quite honestly has a hell of a season coming in 23-24 as his roster is going to change radically in Laval. But what I'm trying to figure out, the real obsession that is starting to show itself is this need to poach or acquire other players from other teams. No, it's not. The perfect team model for Montreal to model what they're doing afterwards. Some people would say it's the New York Rangers because that's where Jeff Gordon came from. Obviously some validity to that, but the New Jersey Devils right now are that team. They have allowed their own talent to gel. They haven't acquired a whole bunch of players from other teams. They've allowed their own group of drafted talent to come together, having a hell of a playoffs. Even if they lose the Carolina, not only did they have a hell of a lot more of a regular season than most people thought they would with the point totals that they ended up with. They got into the playoffs, which nobody thought they would. They won in the first round, nobody thought they would. So they've had a really, really successful season. But it needs to stop with the acquisition of players being taken, traded for, poached from, or anything else from other teams. Montreal has already got more than enough players, more than enough talent to fill the positions on the team are they all a star-studded Class A prospect? No, but nobody has that. If you look at, there's two teams that one could say have multiple superstars on them. You would have to give that to the Edmonton Oilers with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, And not as much this year, but certainly for the last decade in Pittsburgh, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. There's not a lot of teams with that many star-studded players. And for anybody that says, well, you know, Montreal doesn't even have have that well there's only one connor mcdavid it's not like you have one connor mcdavid designated for every team that doesn't help but montreal's got some really good players that again i still think are just scratching the surface of their careers in cole caulfield nick suzuki kirby doc I think Montreal is gonna have a lot of standout defensemen. The biggest challenge for Montreal, there are two, is going to be retaining all that talent because they're gonna come up for contracts at some point in time, how many of them can you keep? So if that salary cap number increase doesn't keep pace, you could see a lot of good players, which everybody will want to blame, The Montreal management's, oh my God, I can't believe they couldn't keep him. Well, when you have that many good prospects all at the same time, that creates a challenge. I mean, you want to hope they'll be as least successful as Boston and Tampa has, because they've obviously worked some cap management to be able to keep the majority of their teams, not only their core players, but even the majority of their supportive players together. So something to learn from those two teams. I'm sure Montreal's very much aware of that considering their management consists of Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes. I think one of Kent Hughes' greatest assets are going to come shining through right now because I'm sure that being most general managers are not former player agents and not one of the best player agents of all time with 25 years of history. That gives Montreal a tremendous leverage in Cap management and contract signings because of course Cole Caulfield as an example right now is up for a new contract. I'm sure his player's agent is gonna want to do everything he can to make his player the most money. Think of everything Kent Hughes knows. Kent Hughes, for all the people that said, Well, you know, he's a rookie GM, he, you know, he's gotta learn a lot, he's gonna kind of learn on the job this is where he's got strengths that no other general manager has. He came from that side. So he knows exactly how negotiation goes, the tricks, the leveraging characteristics. He is going to do unbelievably well. And to have proven how well he's done at general manager traditionally, as far as every trade like Kirby Doc and Mike Matheson trades as a couple of examples, have turned out to be gold. He has got a deft touch and an awesome combination as a general manager. And this is where you thought he looked good for acquiring a first-round pick for just picking up the contract of Sean Monahan, the Kirby Doc trade at the 2022 draft, the Mike Matheson trade after the draft. I'll tell you what; those are all going to be like in the distant past when contract negotiations for all these players start, because Kent Hughes has got that locked down. And make no mistake about it; I have no doubt in my mind Jeff Gordon knew exactly that and had exactly that in mind when he wanted Kent Hughes as his general manager. That wasn't just because of thinking different, being outside of the box. Those are secondary reasons for it, but this is exactly why I think he wanted Kent Hughes to be his general manager. And this ties back to Pierre-Luc Dubois and acquiring players like Alexei Lafreniere. That creates a problem. You already have an established salary structure on the team. You cannot bring in Dubois or Alexei Lafreniere for more than anybody on the current team. Just isn't going to work that way. Not to mention the fact, again, and I've said this in multiple episodes, Dubois is not worth more than, let's just keep it at center positions right now. He's not worth more than Nick Suzuki. He's not worth more than Kirby Doc. He's not worth more than Sean Monahan. As a matter of fact, he and Sean Monaghan are probably very comparable players from their point totals. That's where he's at. So if you bring him in, not only are you destroying opportunities for the Owen Becks and others at center prospects that Montreal already has, but now you're taking away roster spots. And again, I have a real concern, if nothing else, from a consistency standpoint with these two players. And just to wrap this up, there is a new obsession of how Montreal has to go out and get a veteran defenseman. No, they don't. They need to alleviate the logjam and the players that need to go, unfortunately, are veteran players. Joel Edmondson, just with his injury history of the last two years, if you can get a second round pick or better for him, let him go. David Savard. I think David Savard was far more of a help to younger defensemen this year than Joel Edmondson was. But unfortunately, the team style and the game is passing by David Savard's skills. So he's another one to trade. Chris Weidman was a fill-in at best. I mean, personally, I think the guy showed incredible class in training camp last year by just giving his jersey number number 20 at the time two-year Ives Slavkowski because that was the kid's favorite number that was the jersey he wanted to wear what a great team way to welcome not only a rookie but the kid that was drafted number one overall just a complete class move by Weidman but honestly that was the highlight of his season Weidman at best is a seventh defenseman in the NHL that being said he could be as high as a fifth or sixth but he needs to be on the right team to do that and Montreal is not that team right now. But I'll bet Weidman has been a great voice in the dressing room. Weidman might be somebody when his playing days are over with, maybe you want to hire him as a defensive coach down in Laval, Just like everybody's talking about Alex Belize and how he'd be a great coach. Maybe Belize and Weidman are your new offensive and defensive coaches or assistant and defensive coaches for Laval in the future. Maybe LaValle's current assistant coach and defensive coach move on to something else, to another opportunity in the NHL or to another AHL team and you need people there. They would be great at that level. Alex Belize, I also believe, should be Montreal's right winger on the fourth line next year along with Michael Pozzetta and Lucas Candata. No surprise there. I've said that a number of episodes. But Montreal does not need another veteran defenseman. The veteran defenseman that they have is Mike Matheson. He'll be 29 next year. Clearly was one of, and some people can arguably say, the best defenseman on the Montreal roster this year. That's interesting. I think injuries played into that. I think if Arbor Jackye and Caden Gooley were not injured, I think that would be a a different discussion. Arguably, you could say he was the best defenseman on the this year. Tremendous skater, great passer, great in the transition game. Again, all the things that Ken Hughes knew he had that everybody else wanted to question Ken Hughes about. But he's your veteran presence. You don't need anybody else. And with him, by the way, let's not forget you have now Matheson, Caden Gooley, Arbor Jackeye, Jordan Harris, four left defensemen to go along with Justin Barron and Jonathan Kovaševic on the right side. The good news is Jordan Harris is the wild card there. He can play both right or left, but that means you've got your sixth. You have your sixth defenseman now. And honestly, for a while, And because the scary part about it is they're all young. Who would you trade of that group? If you trade anybody of that group, I mean, maybe it's the guys on the right, but you already have a problem with too many left. Now, fortunately, as we've talked about before, left defensemen can more easily transition to right defense than right defensemen can easily transition to left defense. But remember who you got coming. You still got Logan Mylou. Fortunately, he's a right-handed defenseman. You still got Lane Hudson. He's another left-handed defenseman. You have Jason Struble. You have all kinds of players coming still. There's just a lot of defensive talent, which is also why I don't think Montreal needs the draft of defenseman in the 2023 NHL draft. I am very interested to see on Monday how Montreal ends up and where they end up picking at. Even a lot of the great centers don't make sense because Montreal already has too many centers. So I'm hoping Montreal makes this almost kind of like a Bill Belichick New England type draft. Maybe trades up and down a little bit and lands themselves the best wingers because that's about the only other place other than goal which if the florida pick continues to drop maybe that drops towards the bottom 27th or lower in the nhl draft and that's where you draft the check goalie michael rabel could be on that note thanks again for tuning in to episode 43 of the hockey free for all podcast i am your host steven styles have an amazing upcoming week we'll talk again soon